dig this. First 125, Moro here from Grundle. Kingsley turns that five sideways. Brian, the gate is down. This is a sharp left-hander. Who's going to shot? Looks like Darcy Lange on that Richmond Gallon Kawasaki gets the jump. That's where it all started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Justified Cultures, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. Fly racing, Bill's Pipes, W Wheels, Maxima USA, Moto Ice Wrap, 100% Goggles, and Moto Stuff make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Fly Racing Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Justified Cultures. Head on over to justifiedcultures.com right now to get 30% off your order when you enter discount code BIGMX17. Big MX17 saves you 30% at justifiedcultures.com. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt, but with me on the line, we've got none other than Marshall Plum, longtime mechanic and uh, owner of Marsh Marshall Racing. Mr. Plum, how's it going? Going good here, uh, Brad. How about yourself? How are you doing? Hey, I'm not doing too bad whatsoever. It's uh, a cool and brisk 36 degrees Fahrenheit here in Winnipeg, Manitoba, laying bricks all outside all day long, but uh, I'm, I've warmed myself up next to my laptop, ready to do some uh, serious bench racing with a guy who knows a lot about motorcycles, and that'd be yourself. Yeah, I have uh, been very fortunate to have almost... Uh, going on over 30 years uh 35 years to be exact of of motorcycle knowledge which is uh goes back a long ways that it does and um and b- before we d- dive uh, back towards the, the where it all started i'll give the listeners a, a little bit of a, a tidbit of what you're doing now uh going back three years ago you were still super involved with dunlop uh and, but now you've you've completely i think you're you're for the most part, as far as I'm, I know, I've completely uh, dive deep into uh, Marshall's racing, and you're, you're taking that to the next level. Uh, kind of give the give the listeners an idea of what you got going on now in your day to day life. Um, for the last uh, ten or twelve years, really, it's been the same routine for me. I uh, um, started doing. Uh, I mean, I've had Marshall's racing. Uh, established it in 1999 when I retired as a, a race technician. And um, in 2000, I started doing a deal with American Suzuki uh, with their off-road team with Steve Hatch, Mike Kudrowski, and Paul Edmondson at the time, and Rodney Smith as well. Yeah. Uh, did that, and then the, the Dunlop thing was kind of, uh, I tried to help uh, – uh, a co-worker out that I had been involved with a great friend, Brian Fleck, uh, his boy had become very sick in, in, uh, the 2000 era. And, uh, I went to help those guys out at Dunlop and for some reason I'm still there. I have in uh, it's a, it's a part-time weekend job for me, but it's very fun, very relaxing for me. Cool. And, uh, I get to be at the races. 
absolutely. And see all those, uh, some familiar faces. And I imagine over the years, uh, some of those faces have gone away and, and new ones have replaced them. But uh, you're a constant and uh, flipping tires uh, over and over again over at uh, at Dunlop. That's a pretty cool deal. And I guess you get to catch up uh, uh, on a week- weekend basis with a guy like uh, Brock Glover, who uh, is never short on stories. No, um, uh, you know, we could do a podcast that could go on for days and days, but uh, I've been very fortunate in the motorcycle industry, uh, A, to have met a lot of great people, B, to have been able to work with a lot of those great people, and and C, call them as great friends today. And um, uh, one thing I, I always tell people is uh, just I get to see riders from – Marty Smith, Bob Hanna, all those guys, all the way through to your your Ricky Carmichael's, and and today you you have the young riders that we have now, and uh, to be able to work with them at some time or, or or level throughout their career has been really good. So uh, along the way with uh, many uh, na- amateur national championships that Marshall's Racing has churned out, uh, i, I got to think uh-huh. that at some point along the line, you were building both race engines and suspension for uh, for some of these kids uh-huh. that eventually ended up at the pro ranks that you're now lacing, uh, lacing up a set of wheels, putting on the tires. Yeah, there's, um, there's uh, a, you know, again, uh, I mean, there, there are a lot of great friends that I've met, I could go way back. Uh, you know, Bob Hanna, I got to work with him a bit. Um, the riders that we've won championships with at a professional level, uh, Guy Cooper, Brian Swink. Um, and, and, and then today, one of the riders that the latest riders that, that, that we've helped out coming through the ranks was Justin Bogle. And I'm very fortunate to have, their family himself is a great friend and and to see his career go to where it has and hopefully uh it'll continue to grow for him that it has and uh, uh recently hearing that uh that uh, Justin Bogle has been on a Suzuki uh dare I ask if you have any uh, insight as where the the young man might land um usually I can say this, someone's not going to give the rider a motorcycle that they're not going to let him race throughout throughout the year. So uh, uh, I think uh, that, that color yellow, um, a great a great team uh, led by great people. There's a good possibility that you might see him on that brand of bikes. It's, we'll know here in the next couple of days. For sure. Uh, not, not too sure if we'd see him at uh, at. at- at Monster Energy Cup, but if we did, that would be pretty cool to see him uh, ro- rolling out and a kid that's got style for days. And I imagine that uh, is pr- probably a dream to work with as far as setting up a motorcycle, because a lot of those guys down in Oklahoma seem to have a knack for uh, knowing what they want. Uh, is that a, a fair assessment? Yeah, um, there, there's been a lot of great riders come out of the state of Oklahoma, but. Um, there's a lot of great riders that come out of every state, but we feel very fortunate here in Oklahoma to to call riders like Trey Kennard, Justin Bogle, Robbie Renard, Guy Cooper, uh, Chase Marquier coming up, and, and there's still some more riders in the horizon. So, I mean, 
it's very uh, oh Colt Nichols can't forget him. I was able to work with him uh, uh, on the Crossland team, and uh, he's now on a Star Yamaha. And I think he'll uh, he'll he'll win some races next year. So yeah, it's uh, there's a good group of riders. We have some good tracks here, and um, the, the climate's always pretty good. So absolutely, and uh, by some strange coincidence, all all four of those guys are all five actually are all pretty damn good interviews. I've had uh, just about all of them on my show at some point, but uh, and uh, I, I gotta say, a kid, a kid like uh, Colt Nichols, guy's extremely well spoken and uh, finds a way to slide all of his, his sponsors in there, uh, kind of uh, effortlessly. That's a, a cool skill to have. Yeah, Colt is, uh, um, man, uh, you know, as an amateur, I got to work with Justin and Colt a lot. They're very good friends. Uh, I took him to Florida when they're just on 65s. Uh, one hung out at Ricky Carmichael's house with both of them. Um, just just to show them what, what racing motorcycles can get for you. And, and those guys have... Uh, really worked hard to get where they're at in their career and they're they're both very well spoken uh individuals and and again I'm very fortunate to to have them as a friend and been able to work with them uh was able to work with Colt on the Crossland uh Honda team motorsport team a few years back and uh till he got hurt and he was uh consistently a top 6 rider and I mean, that's where it started for him. So, I mean, everybody has to start somewhere and, and, and that's, it's good to see those guys grow up and, and become champions. That it is. And and you yourself have uh, some, some AMA national champions to your championships to your credit as a, uh, as a, as a mechanic helping uh, guy Cooper to, uh, I believe it was the 1990 uh, championship uh, in the 125 class. Yeah. Um, you know, we can go back. I mean, we might cross this in a couple of minutes, yeah. but, um, uh, you know, uh, maybe we'll just start here now and, and, and bring it into the, the Guy Cooper thing, but was very fortunate to, to grow up in Canada, um, and, and worked with some, some good riders. And like I said, everybody has to start somewhere. And in my start pretty well come from, I was working with, uh, a family back home, uh, uh, Dave Beatty and his dad, um, Sam, uh, they're good friends. I went to the races with, with them and Sam actually taught me a lot about how, how the motorcycle worked and different aspects of it. Uh, Sam's no longer here, but he's thought of on a daily basis. And, and then I went from working with Dave to, to working at a, a Honda Canada with a rider by the name of, um, Kevin Moore. And, uh, Unfortunately, Kevin's no longer with us, uh, but um, it was his rookie year, and we actually uh, did very well together, and it, it opened the eyes of uh, of Ross Pedersen, and, and Ross asked me if I would become his mechanic in 1986, it was, and um, that's kind of where it all started. Um was very fortunate to have won... 12 championships, I think 12 or 13 with Ross. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, um, for those who don't know Ross, the rollerball Peterson, an absolute dynamo as far as Canadian motocross goes, uh, I believe from 19, 
I want to say 79, or is it 80, basically all the way in through uh, the, the, the early, early 90s, was extremely dominant, winning uh, 125 through, uh, through 500 championships every single year. Yeah, Ross was a very, uh, man, a very great, talented rider. Um, till this day, I don't think we'll ever see a rider come out of Canada that had the talent that that he had and the determination. And, I mean, it showed in his championship results and in his wins. And, and one thing that uh, I tell people with Ross, and that when you're younger, and you're just doing your job, you, you go out there, you take things for granted, you look at it, and you go, man, racing's racing. But now that uh, I'm a little bit older and I, I look back and seen what we accomplished in in the U.S. with Ross, and that's likely what opened the door to where I'm at today. Um, but it uh, we're, we're always top six, top seven in the U.S. Nationals. Totally. A bad weekend with a bad weekend would have been a 10th to 12th um, on bikes that were not not even 50% as good as what the, the, the teams had back then. And I think if we could go do that in today's era with uh, the, the support that's out there, I think Ross would definitely have been a factory rider in the U.S. and, and might even have won a U.S. championship. He was that good, I think, so. For sure, and a guy who, uh, as far as uh, this side of the border, showed skills on the 125 all the way up to the 500 on the same day, which uh, a lot of times we talk about uh, the fact that asking uh, one of the, the members of Team USA to jump down to a, one, to a 250F for one particular weekend is almost unfathomable for the, to, to be able to ask them to do that on that particular, uh, on, on a weekend or, or a with a two week uh, leading up to it, Ross was racing all three bikes on every single day and uh, either sweeping all six motos or doing extremely well, well enough to, uh, to wrap up all three championships. What was it like being around an, an individual like that who uh, was basically um, tougher than nails and, um, and, and, and basically just, just dominated the, 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 the field. Um, you know, it was uh it had its ups and it had its downs i mean uh one thing i've always been as a mechanic is to give 110% and i said the day i can't do that at a professional level is when i'm going to quit and uh 19 1999 was that year but working for ross i know if i put in 110% he was always going to put in the same, no matter what. I mean, it. it uh, I mean, I've never worked with somebody that's worked that hard um, throughout their career. I mean, obviously today, you've got the the Ricky Carmichael's, the Ryan Villapotos, and and the Ryan Dungies that um that work really hard. But we're we're twenty years past that date, so I mean. Back then, what Ross did was uh, there's only a few riders that that worked that hard, and um, it. Uh, I mean, that really. I mean, I think that showed in his results. That's why he is where he's at, you know. And 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 I still talk to Ross on a on a regular basis, which is really good. 
Well, that that's a guy that I've got to get on this podcast because uh, someone I'm always getting requests for uh, don't have his contact information. But uh, after this podcast, I'll, I'll, I'll bug you to see if I can get uh, get him on the podcast, and maybe we can uh, call you up mid show and and see if you guys can swap some stories. Yeah, it's um, you know, I mean. Uh, it's real easy to sit back and look at it now, but there, I owe a lot to, to certain individuals in our sport. One was uh, obviously the Beaties for for the start, and um, Ross for for doing what he did and, and being in the limelight in the U.S. And then uh, there's another guy that really was uh, a big help of me becoming a a, a person to be able to work and live in the u.s and that was by a gentleman by the name of bob hannah and all those guys play a big role of being where i'm at today somewhere uh you know uh, around the circle they're all uh, a big part of of my success to this date so among those characters that you were working with uh on the canadian side uh does the name um, Roy Borton ring any bells? Yes, it does. Um, it, it, it's been a long time ago, but the name definitely rings a bell. What What can you tell me about uh, Roy? Because uh, the last two times that I've had suspension service done, that's been through uh, Roy himself. Uh, still spinning the wrenches at who knows what age. Uh, what can you tell me about Mr. Roy Borton? Um, like I said, it was just, I don't know a whole lot about Roy, just kind of an acquaintance you come into at the, at the track, uh, at certain times. So I, I really can't, it's somebody I haven't been in contact with, um, in a long time. Fair enough. It's, so I, I'd be, I'd be telling you something that wasn't true if I said <laughs> something. Fair enough. Not- not spinning any yarns here on the Big MX Radio podcast show. Well, Marshall, at, at one point, it uh, you had to take your talents uh, south of the border and, and take up a job at Factory Suzuki. Um, what was your role to very begin with, and uh, what did that manifest into eventually the fa- point where you were kind of the, the marquee guy as far as uh, spinning wrenches for uh, a juggernaut that was uh, Team Suzuki? Um, It, it was... Uh... It was really kind of a, a, a bizarre thing how it it come uh, come about uh, in in 1987 or in 1988 um, Yamaha Canada had um, put their their racing team on hold up there so it left Ross without a, a job and and he went back to Suzuki um, in Suzuki Canada with very limited support and I helped him for half of the season, three quarters of the season. And, and, and financially it just, uh, it, it just wasn't really good for me for the amount of work that we put in and, and, and Ross and I kind of parted ways and at the end of that season. And then, um, going into, uh, 1989, I really had not a lot going on. I just kind of, did you know off and on stuff and uh the late donnie schmidt had uh had contacted me and i went and did a couple uh 125 nationals with him he was a, a privateer rider at the time that year and and uh 
one day in the middle of summer, I get a phone call from from uh, Bevo Forte, which was of Scott uh, at Scott at that time, now 100%. And and he says Bob Hanna wants to call you. Can I give him your number? And I said, Yeah, I think Bob has it, but have him call me. And then Bob called me and said, Hey, uh, I'm gonna take over Suzuki's race team and kind of help them out. And in 1990, we want to hire you as a mechanic. And at first, I wasn't really sure uh, it was all true or not, but uh, it was very exciting for me, and it was a, a, a dream to to go to the U.S. and, and go on to the next level of, of racing and, and try to accomplish some more goals. And and um, so that, that come about, I went over there uh, three-quarters of the way through 89 and worked with Bob a little bit, and in 1990, they... Uh, they were, were were hiring a fairly big team, and at the time when they hired me, they wanted me to work with uh, Jimmy Gaddis at the time, which was going to be on a 125. And um, late late to the end of the year, um, they hired Guy Cooper, and, and Bob said, "I want you to be Guy's mechanic. I think that that you guys would get along very well." And uh, and and. So we teamed up with Guy Cooper in 1990, and and that was with Suzuki. So that's where it all kind of started in the U.S. for me. Fair enough. Now, uh, um, those those bikes that you originally came on the scene with in '88, uh, I believe the bikes got an upgrade or an update uh, soon after. Uh, what were your overall thoughts, uh, both uh, the performance and working on those uh, those '88, '89, '90 Suzukis? Um, the 1990s Suzuki was the, the kind of like a new generation of a bike for them. And, um, the 125 was a, a very, very well built, uh, bike at the time. We had a very fast motor in 1990. Um, the 250 was, was not a bad bike either. I think we're a little bit behind the time on, on the Honda that, uh, Stanton and those guys were riding then, but, um, uh, Guy Cooper was another another rider that 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 always give a hundred and ten percent, and I've been very fortunate to have worked with a lot of good riders like that. And uh, man, just uh, we almost won a couple Supercrosses. I think two or three that year. We come very close to winning. We got uh, three or four seconds that year. Never won one, but when Outdoor started, we had a pretty good. Uh, you know, pretty good vibe. I'd watched God the years before when he was on Honda and knew that he was able to, to win races, but winning a championship was maybe going to be a little tougher. But uh, we put our uh, put our heads down, and, and we worked real hard and, and did a lot of testing that year, and uh, the end results paid off. We won a championship, uh, luckily, by one point. Wow, yeah, like right down to the very last uh, last moto when it all counted and you guys were able to pull it through. Uh, what were some of the, the closer calls, if you remember, from that particular year? Uh, like, uh, 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 the bike was, like, was it ever close to, like, or like, oh, we, we, we were, like, we kind of, kind of by the skin of our teeth on that moto or something like that where, like, she, she might have blown soon or something like that because you know those 125s are always running on the edge. Yeah, unfortunately, our bikes were very fast, but they're very reliable that year. And um, uh, we won by a point, but at one time, 
um, we, you know, it was very competitive that year. There's John Michelle Bale was his first year and he was on a, on a Honda and very fast bike. And, uh, fortunately him and guy had some, some good battles. Uh, I think, um, points wise, they were within eight, eight points or seven points at going into Washougal and at that race in Washougal, uh, John Michelle, uh, got hurt i think he broke his his arm or something at, at that point and um we left washuga with a 60 point lead which or 50 something point lead which was if we were like god we, we you know you start thinking we got this in the bag you know we got a big points lead and and so on and then uh we um, started developing uh, the Suzuki wanted us to ride a, a newer bike, the, the 91 bike at the last part of the season and pretty close to the same bike. Chassis was a little different, but um, we started doing that. And uh, I think guys started riding a little bit, um, a little bit over, not let's say over his head, just uh, we had everybody telling him different things and, and he started taking some different vitamins that made him a little more hyper, I think. And man, that 60 point lead started dwindling and we went into, uh, to, um, I think it would have been steel city and we cased, uh, it's funny because I just seen a thing on, um, on Facebook, uh, an old video of it, but, uh, we cased, uh, he cased the jump at that race and, um, cracked the engine cases and we lost 25 points that moto so our 60 point lead went down to to a, a one point um deficit with mike kradowski and, and going into the last three races it was back and forth between between those two one guy would win a moto the next guy would win another and and it went back and forth and going into to unadilla um, the good Lord was on our side and we, we won by a point and we're right down to the, to the, the last couple laps. So I can only imagine a celebration that only Oklahoma boys can, uh, can appreciate, uh, coming across the line one point, uh, and one point lead and a championship one. And it like, uh, what, what, what followed from there as far as, uh, the elation and the, and the, uh, the celebration that, uh, from that championship. You know, back then their racing season went into October. It was uh, yeah, the, the true. first, second week of October, and we had to go to Japan. And and you know, I wasn't. I, I don't want to say I was a, a cocky person back there, but you know, back then uh, I just was very confident that in the work that we did and in everything, and it really wasn't. I mean, it was a relief more than anything that we won, you know. I mean, as far as celebrating, went out, had a couple of beer, but I think today it's a little different. They they get a little crazier and all that, but we we still had work to do, and we wanted to we wanted to win another one. I mean, you, you know, you just don't want to stop at one. The more you can win, the merrier. Well, then uh, t- to that point, the following year, um, carrying uh, that one number one plate uh, proved to be uh, rather heavy uh, compared to the the number uh, guy was running when he when he won the championship. I believe he was running number four, correct? 
Uh, yeah, we had number four in, in, in 1990 and in 1991, we, uh, I think we had number one in, um, outdoors and I think it was number five in supercross, but, uh, I mean, to me, it's just the bikes the same. I think to the rider, there's a little more pressure when you have number one on it and there's always pressure on both of us to, to perform. And, um, we just, uh, our bike changed in 1991. The, the motor configuration was a little different and we're behind the eight ball. The first, uh, first two or three nationals and surprisingly we won the first national in Gainesville a little bit muddy and, and everything but we come out of there with the win which was very surprising but um Kedrowski was was on his game he had switched to Kawasaki that year and uh it, we we had our work cut out for us and uh it just um, by the time we got our bike uh, dialed in, we started. I think we still won five nationals um, that year, um, but come up a little short in the championship. I think we we lost it by by ten or eleven points. And we can go back today and look at at different races. Going if we would have done this better or done that better, but I mean it's um, you know Mike rode very well that year and. Uh, it just uh we're just a little bit short so uh obviously like the the mechanics job and the the duties of a mechanic were very much different than they are today uh back then you're doing your own motors you're doing your own suspension uh took a lot of pride in your work what was all involved in a uh kind of a week in the life of marshall plum back in uh 1990 1991 man it's I don't know if I could do it uh, today, how we did it back then. I mean, it was, um, you know, back then we had to, uh, we had to do a lot of um, driving. We we had to drive to every race back then. uh, So it wasn't uncommon to drive 30 or 40 hours, uh, get to the race, um, put another 20 or 30 hours into to your bike uh, we had to do our own shopping clean our box fans i mean it was um uh, back then you had to be very organized you had to think um three or four races down the road and made sure that you were uh made your job a little bit easier when you got to the location you're going to work at but um uh, at the same time i mean it was very relaxing and and fun now nowadays it's it seems like you rush to get on the airplane, you rush to get home on the airplane, and you rush to get your work done to go back to the races again. And and you don't have to do as much today, but I think the manufacturers uh, and the teams require the mechanics to, to, to be at the shop throughout the week, and we never really had those regulations back then, so... Yeah, like that's it's it's a completely different uh, way of approaching the job. But uh, I imagine that you've got quite a few uh, interesting stories and exciting stories from uh, 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 traveling with uh, alongside guys like uh, Tony Berluti. Uh, any uh, anyone that kind of sticks out in your mind as uh, tales of the road with a guy like uh, with Tony? Yeah, you know. It seemed like back then we're competitors on the weekend, but um, we're friends through the week. And I, 
we always used to travel uh, with a lot of people, but on our team, we, you know, uh, Tony was a, a very good friend, still is today, and, and, and Danny Stevenson's dad, Don Stevenson, we kind of, we all kind of traveled in our own little group, and, and there was times that uh, would would travel with um, Steve Butler, which uh, was working for Yamaha, Jeff Emick, and um, and uh, Doug Dubok back in the day, and uh, even Dan Bentley, that that's the Honda team manager. We we did a lot of trips together, and um, we always had a lot of respect for each other as mechanics, and we all worked the same. We worked side by side in the the hotel parking lots and um it's uh it was a very um uh, it was a lot of fun times i mean like i said earlier you could we could go we could tell stories for days and oh yeah i could i could likely write a book so i, <laughs> I don't know if i'd want to do that or not i'd but, probably uh, buy it yeah i think there's a few people that would um from the older days, but I mean, we had a good camaraderie of people, and um, again, we respected each other, and and we're all friends. And even though we competed against each other on the the weekend, it it, it uh, we all were there to do the same thing. And I still take that same. I have a saying that when I go to the races, I mean, we're just all one big family working together, even though we're working for different people. For sure, and, and and now more than ever with uh, Dunlop being on uh, on more bikes than uh, than ever before, uh, I guess Dunlop in a lot of ways um, has kind of like at one point it was Dunlop and Bridgestone. Now it's uh, like Dunlop and a little bit of uh, sprinkled in um, some Pirelli. Like uh, how, how how did that change uh, really kind of? Um, relay the the landscape of of who who who's using what tire and uh do you find that there's uh there's now more than ever uh guys are using like less different compounds if that makes sense yeah um we could go back i mean when i first started with dunlop i mean i've i've been with dunlop since the 80s uh and gone through a a, a few different generations of of people doing the dunlop uh deal but um dunlop's uh, again a company that that's been been loyal to me and i'll always be loyal to them they're a bunch of great people and uh when i started um bridgestone is a very competitive tire company in in the the 90s i mean or the the 2000s yeah they um they come on very strong they had very good uh very good product and when i first started at dunlop it was uh we had a we had so many different combinations of tires that that was kind of a little bit crazy but um here in the last uh you know four or five years bridgestone pulled out of racing and, and dunlop uh, everybody wanted to be on board with dunlop because of uh they, they did have a, a superior name and their product was was a really good product and and then in the last three or four years, uh, we've come out with a tire that's uh, it, it was originally called the MX32. Now it's uh, MX3S. Um, very very good tire. I mean, it's a tire that uh, I mean, 
everybody uses uh, that tire at the professional level. It's a, a little bit, um, a little bit of a different build of a tire, uh, at the professional level, but the same pattern, uh, very close to the same construction and, um, unbelievable tire at both levels. And, and that's made our job a lot easier because there's not riders wanting to switch or try different tires. I mean, you might have a, a rider try a different front tire um, if they're struggling on a certain track, but it's very rare nowadays. And um, in, in having Pirelli out there is uh, you need competition. It doesn't matter if it's tires, me doing suspension here at home. Um, competition keeps you on your toes. Hey, everybody. This is Jimmy Button, former factory Supercross rider. You're listening to the Big MX Radio Show. We're going to take it to a commercial, and we'll be right back. Justified Cultures is the kind of apparel from the moment you put it on makes you feel like it was made just for you. Quality, comfortable apparel designed for and inspired by the live-what-you-love lifestyle. Woven throughout the moto, desert, skate, and surf culture of Justified is the desire to celebrate human achievement, to inspire and create a modern lifestyle brand reflecting today's generation. Zach Commons, Matty Jesse, Phoenix Racing Co., Dominique Daffay, Cody Matichuk, and John Short are just a few athletes who don Justified Cultures clothing. Passion needed a clothing line to speak to the way that it lived each day. So, we created Justified Cultures. Navigate justifiedcultures.com to easily view over 40 individual styles to help you make a statement every time you step outside. As presenting sponsor to Big MX Radio, lock in promo code BIGMX17 when checking out at justifiedcultures.com to receive 30% off your Justified Cultures clothing. Express your lifestyle with Justified Cultures. Live what you love. This is a test of your racersindex.com awareness. This was a test to see if you're ready to be found at racersindex.com. Supercross and Arena Cross are coming up. Now is the time to secure your position on a team. Mechanics, models, riders, flaggers, team owners, production specialists, anything related to racing. Be found at racersindex.com. Click it for your ticket to be found and become part of the racing industry. Racersindex.com, your ultimate race production resource. Visit racersindex.com now. When it's time to turn heads, Spokeskins has you covered. Whether it's dirt bikes, street bikes, or bicycles, nobody does it better than Spokeskins. Mix and match your spokes, or go with the same color all the way around. Either way, Spokeskins is the way to go to customize the look of your bike. Uniting off-road riders on every end of the budget spectrum, Spokeskins is aimed at giving you the custom look without the custom price tag. If you're looking to set your bike apart from the rest of the herd, Turn some heads and be able to change your bike's look on the fly? Head to spokeskins.net. They don't just have spokeskins on their website. They've got more. New products are being added all the time, like the Motul Slacker Digital Sag Scale and just recently, Galfer Off-Road Series Rear Brake Lines, Oversized Rotor Kit, and Front Brake Lines as well. So do what I did. Head to spokeskins.net today, place your order, and get set up turn some heads out there. Spokeskins, we've got you covered. 100% equals everything. When you give everything, you do not save anything for later. Do not relax. Do not take a break to catch a breath. Give everything you've got from start to finish. You leave it all on the track. 
It is very rare that a logo or saying becomes so strong that Hall of Fame athletes choose to run it without any agents or contracts or business discussed. Question is, how much do you give? If you give 100% on the track, shouldn't your goggles? Whether you choose the Racecraft, the Acuri, the Strata, or the Barstow, 100% Goggles has the right goggle to give you 100% every time you ride. With great accessories like the Forecast film system, endless goggle lenses, 100% Goggles simply can't be beat. You can find it all on www.ride100percent.com. That's www.ride100percent.com. Go there and join the 100% family. Racersindex.com is your ultimate race production resource. From the starting line of production to the finish line of winning, Racersindex.com is your go-to resource to be a part of or produce a checkered flag winning event. The professional's place to find work and workers, rides and riders, and more. If you need it to make your race event happen, it's happening at Racersindex.com. If you want to be a part of the racing world, join the Racersindex.com team today. If you need people on your team, you can find them at Racersindex.com. Log on now and find what you need, who you need, and anything needed for two-wheel or four-wheel racing. Log on if you're a mechanic, model, rider, flagger, caterer, sound engineer, team owner, production specialist, or anything related to racing. Find all people, places, and things racing all at racersindex.com. From dirt to the track, from desert to the drag strip, racersindex.com is your ultimate race resource. Click it for your ticket to all things racing. Racersindex.com. Deft Family Gloves. Deft means showing cleverness and skill in handling things. What you want to see in football and basketball is some deft handling of the ball. Some people are physically deft, like accomplished athletes. Fair enough. Now, um, how long did you work with uh, with Cooper? Uh, we, we know his... his professional career uh, went uh, long even a little bit past your professional career as as a, as a race mechanic uh how long were you spinning the wrenches for a guy who uh more often than not was uh, was jumping things on more more cross bike that you tuned that uh, maybe it wasn't uh intended to be jumped yeah well, there's a again there's a lot of stories about that but um Unfortunately, I only worked with Gaia in 1990 and 1991. Um, at the end of 1991, um, Suzuki was uh, uh, looking at hiring um, some younger riders coming up, and, and uh, they hired a, a rider by the name of Brian Swink, and they wanted me to work with Brian um, and, and hopefully take him to some championships and it was a tough decision for me to to make to leave Guy at that time, and, and even for Guy, I don't think we really had an option on either one of our parts. That that decision was made by uh, Suzuki Management. But um, uh, so in 1992, I started working with Brian Swink, and um, again was fortunate to have won a a championship with him uh, in the 125 Supercross. And, and, and it was looking like our, uh, you know, 
my career and his career was going to go uh, very positive. And then um, yeah, when we got on the, the 250s in 1993, um, it just, uh, our bike wasn't very competitive compared to the Honda back then, but it was competitive enough to win on and we come close. Uh, and then Brian broke his wrist and uh, things just kind of spiraled backwards from there and it never really got got back on that, that winning note that that we thought we should be on. And it wasn't for a lot of hard work and, and everything. And I think if, uh, again, if Brian could do it over again today, uh, things would be done different. But you know what? We don't have that option in life. Once it's behind us, it's behind us. And we have to learn from our mistakes. So I've definitely learned a, a lot throughout my career working with, with different types of riders and, and, and know how to work with these riders today. And, I mean, there's it's helped me uh, even sitting down with a rider like Justin Bogle, which, um, you know, he started having some problems uh, when he turned pro and, and – and, I mean, I feel very fortunate to hopefully think that I kind of helped him get going in the right direction and not because I'm I'm nobody special, but I, I've had a lot of experience working with different types of situations and riders. Now, working with Brian, is that something that uh, from the very beginning you were comfortable with? Something like because he he brings a lot of things to the table that are, are a little bit different than than most riders. Extremely stubborn, but also uh, a, a true believer in his own talent. Um, but ha- having after talking to him about uh, his like his ninety three season. Um, cause I had him on this podcast and, uh, just to hear it in his voice about, uh, for the first time in, in pretty much his entire, for as long as he'd been riding a motorcycle, he questioned his ability to win races, um, knowing, like seeing him from 92 moving into 93. Did you see that in his demeanor and the way he carried himself, uh, from a week to week basis as well as on the motorcycle? Um, not always. No. Um, it's kind of funny that we're talking about Brian here and his, uh, one of his, his, his calling me on the phone, but I'll call her back. But, um, Brian was, uh, man, I've always had a good relationship with all my riders, uh, and their families because I mean, that's very important. Uh, you know, like I said, we're all family here, but, um, uh, w- one thing Brian had was, was, uh, an attitude that wasn't always a hundred percent positive. And, and I have a saying in life that your attitude controls your altitude and, um, you know, negativity is not what you want. And, and he started getting that and we tried to change it, but it's very hard when, when kids are young, I mean, we've all been there uh, to change that. And um, I think that's one area that, that I think Brian could uh, could testify that that he wished he would have changed, and that that's that, that comes up to to the rider with Justin Bogle. He was uh, his attitude was not very good when he first turned pro, and a lot of that comes from from the manufacturers giving you everything. They make you feel like you're you're something special, and when things go wrong, there's nobody there to help you. Puts you back into perspective. 
Wow, yeah, totally. Like, you feel 50 feet tall and bulletproof, but as soon as uh, somebody uh, kind of lets the air out of that, it's tough to uh, t- tough to, to battle back from that. No, it's hard. I mean, it's, um, it's hard when you're on top and then someone pushes you off the 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 edge of the stage to the ground and you know it's there's a lot of steps you got to climb to get back to the top again you just don't bounce back up to the top and um it's not easy there's there's a lot of riders and 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 i talked to brian uh, a little bit and and these guys feel like they're failures but you know what i mean man he won a lot of races won a couple championships so I mean, it's not that you're a failure. It's just that there's things just didn't go the way you wanted them to. You know, it's like in life. We all work very hard, but some people are, are a little more successful financially than others. And it's um, it doesn't make you a, a loser or whatever, you're, however you want to explain it. I mean, it's just sometimes people get a little better breaks. And I think back then... um. You know, Jeremy McGrath had had some things go his way, and and they went went his way his whole career. But he was a very positive person too, so I think that that has a lot of credibility for it. That it does. Um, so, aside from uh, from working with Brian, what other uh, responsibilities did you have in throughout those years working with him? And uh, like, what else was put on your plate as far as uh, research development and making those Suzuki's uh, just that much better? Um, I was, when I first went to Suzuki, I, I've always been a person that, uh, I want to learn and, and, and to learn sometimes you have to, to put in a, in a few extra hours, but I'd always go to Japan and, uh, try different, you know, work with the engineers over there. And I was always, um, kind of had a, a, a good feel for a carburation of, uh, of motorcycles. So. They always had me do a lot of the carburetion stuff and everything and um, a little bit of chassis stuff. There's always, there's a lot that you have to know about a motorcycle and um, even suspension. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, that's what we, we specialize in today, mainly suspension. And, and and it's unbelievable how suspension has changed from the 90s to, to where we're at today. It's, it's not even... Uh, it's hard to compare the differences in in everything how much faster the riders are going today uh it's kind of scary at times that it is uh it is it's not for the faint of heart at all but uh like who who's like when we're talking about uh Brian specifically uh, what was he what was he good at on the motorcycle what would he did he struggle at and uh was he one of those guys who when he has a uh a particular ailment or or something that he needs to work on was he a kind of guy to work on his weaknesses or uh trying to make his strengths just that much stronger um Brian was very talented. I mean, he was, uh, boy, there, there's some things I've seen him do on a motorcycle that, uh, kind of astonished me, you know? So, uh, his talent was unbelievable. Um, he had a very good feel for the motorcycle and, uh, what he wanted it to do and, and what he wanted it to do. And, and he could usually make it do that. Um, was a very good test rider. I mean, Brian was, 
I mean, likely one of the best test riders that I've ever, ever worked with. And, um, he could tell you what the bike was doing underneath him at all times. It, it just, uh, almost had too much talent and things come too easy for him. So he didn't have to work that hard at it. And I think that was, uh, that was one of his downfalls. Not only his downfall, there's a lot of riders that have talent in our sport that don't make it. And and I think that's one of the reasons. Now, the riders that have to work harder at it, like a Ricky Carmichael, a Ryan Villapoto, Ryan Dungey, uh, McGrath, those guys had to work a little bit harder at it. And um, I think sometimes that's a good thing, you know. I mean, you, you appreciate it more and I mean, I know there's times with Brian that after four or five laps of practice, he was, uh, and he didn't want to ride the track no more because it was too easy for him, but yet he could never race the track very fast and hard. So it's just kind of hard to say. Yeah, like uh, to to really pinpoint uh, what the the kind of like the strengths and weaknesses of a guy like Brian Swink is to get inside his mind, which is uh, not something too many people have had the the, the fortunate uh, the fortune of being able to do. Um, as far as like his results and uh, and, and how, how he treat like who who out of the guys that you worked with uh, kind of treated you the best or, or made you feel most appreciated for your efforts. Um, you know what, that's, uh, boy, that's, that's a question that I, I can't really, um, I can't pinpoint one rider because they're all very good to me. I mean, they were all, um, uh, I, I mean, they're all very good to work with, um, as far as them treating, you know, we all treated each other like we're families. So usually there's, you know you take care of those people. So uh, very fortunate. I think every rider I worked with, uh, a story that I tell everybody though, was um, when I left Brian, I went to work for uh, Larry Ward at Honda Troy. And um, we never won any, any um, championships, uh, won a, a race, I think, but, the year with Larry was uh, a very challenging year because Larry had a, a reputation of, uh, of not putting in a hundred percent, always making up excuses and, and things like that. But in all honesty, the year that I worked with Larry was uh, a very rewarding year. I think we finished um, fourth in Supercross that year and in third outdoors on a, on a bike that, was the Honda when they first come out with the aluminum frame that nobody really liked. And yeah, number six we, on the Honda. We did very well that year. And, and I sit back and look at, at that. It was a great year, but I mean, every one of my riders were, 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 um, were good. And I think a lot of that just come with, uh, we respected each other. We, we were, both there to have the same goal and that was to do the best that we could do and try to win races. And, um, I think over the the 30 years that I've 35 years, I've been involved in racing. Um, that's one of the the things that I really, um, feel proud of that. I, I think my name was respected and still is respected in our sport. And, 
and I see it even today, you know, when we go to the races, I go and, um, we work with all the, the major teams and, and they treat us, uh, or treat me like I'm part of their team. Uh, but I think you build that, you know, you, you kind of build the respect and, and if you respect each other, you get it back. And, and, and if I could, you know, even when, when people win races, even if it's on a, a different brand of bike uh, of tires that we uh, use, I always go and congratulate them because I know how hard it is to, to work, to go out there and win races and, and championships and it, they don't give them away. And, uh, respect everybody for for when they do win and and i think that that credibility will will go a long ways even when i'm out of the sport well uh to that point is that uh basically how uh, you would like to let uh let your let your uh, legacy be known as a guy who uh a fierce competitor a man who um is is took a lot of pride in his work and uh it, it's just uh good natured to all and, and very encouraging because uh you, you know exactly how much work goes in and seeing seeing that work being put in and, and seeing that good result is uh is is uh, needed is for some uh some some encouragement yeah i mean you know i mean it, there's going to come a day when um we're no longer involved in the sport and i think when that day comes is when um when my final day comes you know i mean i'll always be involved in racing and and when i'm when i'm done racing or when i'm no longer uh with us in, in this world or whenever that day comes um i want i want my name to be to be remembered as a a person that 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 give a lot of respect in in and um just to, you know I, I think i got that from my my father my father was a a person that that was well respected and and i think that goes a long ways i mean i, I don't try not to burn bridges try not to to, to say the wrong things to people and uh, always, you know, I want people just to say, man, that guy was a good guy and, uh, you know, we'll always remember him in our sport, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, hopefully that that day uh, will we'll go on for a long time, you know. For sure, I think that you've you've developed uh, a good name and a good uh, amount of respect from uh, from those in the industry, and that's why, honestly, that's why you, you you stay prevalent, and that's why people keep you around, Marshall. Is that uh, people respect what you do and how you carry yourself, and um, if you've been shown anything in this sport, uh, the the community. Um, that is motocross. If they like, if if the community as a whole likes what you do, likes who you are, they'll find a way to keep you around. If they don't think that you're worth your salt, they don't think that you can hang. Then you'll 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 be found uh, swept swept under the rug and gone in in short order. And uh, you've etched out uh, a piece of of basically the what it what it is true to be motocross. And uh, in a lot of ways, uh, I think that's that speaks volumes as to. To, uh, your character and, and how you conduct yourself yeah i mean it's just like i say it, it, we're just all a big family out there i say that a lot we're out there uh just doing our job but you you know that the word respect is a big word in, in in any aspect of life um in that but uh i mean it's just uh i feel again fortunate that i've surrounded myself with great people uh even even today, you know, I mean, 
all, all the the major teams that we go to uh, and deal with. I mean, they're they're, they're great people, and and they're just. Uh, I think the sport of motocross has got a bunch of great people in it. But I mean, I also go to to I follow the sport in NASCAR very closely. Got a lot of good friends uh, over there, and, and their sports the same way. It's just. We're just a bunch of people that have a love for the job that we're doing, and um, and some are, are fortunate to to do it a little better and maybe get some better results. But at the end of the day, everybody works hard, and uh, unfortunately, there's only one winner every weekend. That there is. Now, um, speaking of this, uh, the weekend, uh, I right before how we we coordinated this podcast you were headed out to uh to ponca city for uh for the the basically like for that for that event that's basically come back it, it hadn't been around for a number of years uh you attended it and um and I, i'd love to hear uh kind of your uh your thoughts on how the uh, your weekend uh, was wrapped up and the harold martin doing a, gr- a great job over at uh pl- the playground and uh and putting that event on it's pretty cool yeah, um, you know, Ponca City being a, a, a track that's within 40, 45 minutes of uh, where we live here in Stillwater, it's, um, we're very fortunate to have a place like that. Uh, unfortunately, um, four years ago, uh, things just kind of went, went different with some promoters and uh, um, people didn't see eye to eye, and that happens a lot in, in any um aspect of our sport or any sport or even in life but uh it was looking for for a few years that the 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 name Ponca City was was going to be off the map and I talked to the people that 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 run the track uh with the Ambucks some of the people and they tried some attempts to make it work and uh it, it wasn't working for for some reason and uh um you know Four or five months ago, Harold uh, Harold come up with a plan, and, and and you know I've known Harold for a long, long time, and a very uh, very smart man. And um, he called me. We talked uh, on the phone, and I said, Harold, if you can't make this happen, it's not going to happen. And 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 deep down inside, I, I kind of figured he could make it happen, but you know there's there's always a gamble. But he has a good like we're saying before that word respect in in everything uh harold's built a very good name for himself and has had a very good following and uh man he um not only put it on the map i think he kind of made it made it a a point that it we're going to make it bigger and uh i think there's a lot of great things to come with with that ponca city national down the down the road and uh being spearheaded by Harold and, and the group of people that he had doing it, um, man, they did one heck of a job. I mean, I, I did a little uh, article, but I mean, man, from you know, to me, running a racetrack isn't easy and it's hard to keep people happy. But man, they kept the you know simple things like porta potties. They kept them clean. The races were on time. The track was a hundred percent all the time. I mean just there really wasn't nothing negative you could say about the whole weekend and and uh i mean i think they did an awesome job and hopefully uh 
going into next year, they can, can make it bigger. Uh, another event that, that goes on here that, uh, we did in Oklahoma, or it was earlier in the year was, uh, the junior motocross, uh, it was in Guthrie, Oklahoma, put on by Eric Pernard and, and a few people. And, and that's another uh, event that's going to take off. So I think we could have two, two big events, um, in Oklahoma every year that, uh, that'll bring a lot of people to the state and hopefully, uh, will help all the local tracks and, and, and make our sport real big again in Oklahoma. Absolutely. Uh, uh, something that, uh, is absolutely, um, compulsory for the for the health of of motocross in uh, in North America is the is that the Midwest and the uh, like in that area that region is extremely healthy because uh, I'm not sure if, if you've noticed but uh, I, I particularly have noticed just even like I know it's been on a downward turn ever since uh, like the 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 economy kind of went, went sideways and whatnot but ever since like 2010 less and less people coming out to races. Whether they deciding that like they're going to only practice and they're only going to race select events to, to stay sharp for uh, for those big events, um, like uh, do, does events like this help bring people out of the woodwork and keep them racing? Because um, like in my opinion, if you if you hold less races, you'll have less people racing them. Because uh, if you give people another option to do things other than racing dirt bikes, they'll do exactly that. But if you keep them racing dirt bikes on every single weekend or damn near every single weekend, uh, you'll, you'll keep their interest. They'll keep them driving towards doing exactly that. Yeah, you're hundred percent. And one thing I've been been talking to a lot of our local promoters and. And believe it or not, Harold and I talked about it, and he'd come up with a, a couple good ideas uh, on making it work. But um, today, we, we're getting fewer riders than what we had uh, in the past. There's still a lot of riders out there riding motorcycles, and, and sure, the economy kind of maybe affected us a little bit, and the, the four strokes maybe affected it a, a small percentage, but people are still going to ride motorcycles. It's their passion. It's something they like to do. Unfortunately, there's more and more people putting tracks out and we've got a lot more tracks, um, a lot more people that don't want to work together. It's almost like it's a competition between them. And so now geographically, you might have five tracks within 90 miles of each other and, and they all want to, have an event or do something that same weekend. So yeah, a practice, a practice on the same day as a race, people would rather spend 20 bucks practicing than $80 racing. Right. And I can't blame, I mean, there's two sides to every story. And if I live right next door to a track and instead of driving 70 miles, I would likely do the same thing. Um, uh, you know, it's right there beside your house. It's cheaper to go there and ride than it is to go race. But on the flip side, if that place wasn't there, then you'd have to go racing. You'd have to find a place to go to. And um, I, I just think that uh, there, there's just too many tracks out there for, for people to to go to. And, and, and I mean, it's it's a competitive world we live in, and the strong will survive down the road. But uh, uh, I mean, unfortunately, I wouldn't want to be a track promoter uh, today because it's just very competitive, and you got to figure a way to outmarket somebody. And um, 
I just hopefully we can we can come up with a game plan. I've been sitting here, you know, thinking about what we can do in Oklahoma to to make our sport big because you know I benefit from it throughout my business. But I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of good people that ride motorcycles and and everything, and then we just everybody needs to work together, and I think we can make it work. Absolutely. Like, I, I feel if, like, say if there was, uh, say, six promoters, that's the most that Manitoba has uh, where I live. And if all you sit all six of them down and give them a schedule of riding, which is, is a whole lot shorter uh, in, in Manitoba than it is in Oklahoma, but you're like, all right, boys, here's your calendar. If you guys can't compromise as to filling the dates of all these these uh, these dates, uh, then I I don't know what's wrong because like if you were to have like uh, practice days two three times a week, you'd get like fifty percent of the riders coming out to that one. You'd get sixty percent of the riders coming out to that one. You've had and you'd have everybody coming out to the races because of all that practicing they they'd been doing. They would have uh, like. You just that sense of mastery comes out, and they want to uh, test their skills by racing. And the more time they spend on their motorcycle, the more often that they need to dial up Marshall Plum at, Mar- at uh, Marshall Racing to make sure that their bike is is tuned in and ready to go on race day. And isn't that better for everybody? No, you're a hundred percent correct. And I mean, the biggest part is is. You know, getting everybody to work together, I mean, that's not a, a very simple solution. Um, if it was, we wouldn't be in this predicament. <laughs> but a, a lot of a lot of it is running a racetrack, um, just like me running my business or, or, or anybody running any business. Um, the smarter businessman will, will, will always come out on top because he's going to figure a way to to promote his business, uh, I, I do something a little different, you know, like if I had a track and I told these track owners that if I had a track and you did that on a day I was racing, the next time you had a big race, I would offer everybody come to my track for free and ride, or I'd even pay them to come just to, to make it that much tougher for them. So, I mean, it's, totally. um, I, I just think there's, again if you could schedule it i'd much rather be open one day a week and make the same amount of money in one days as i could in three or four you know and and cut down on overhead and everything but um it, it just uh i mean in the sport suffers because now you have people that are, are practicing and and practicing's great but there's nothing better than being out there in the pressure filled uh racing environment that's where you can really hone your skills and and make yourself better i mean you can you look at these professional riders like we're talking about justin bogle earlier you know maybe will he go to the to the monster energy cup well those guys have to practice enough and then it's always good to go get a a race under your belt that's why you'll see a lot of guys at the monster energy cup because they you know when you practice and when you race, it's two different environments. When you practice and you're relaxed, everything seems to flow. But then when you get in the race situation, you tense up a little bit. You have more competitors around you. You make more mistakes. And, and sometimes one mistake will escalate into two or three, and that could lead into five or six. So, um, 
you know, the people that can make it perfect in race conditions are, are usually the champions. And, and that's guys like Ryan Dungey, Ken Roxon, uh, you know, the, the champions that we have, Cooper Webb, um, all these guys, uh, the Martin brothers, I mean, they're all, they're, they're racers and, 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 and you get that by racing. So uh, I think the competitiveness of racing is what we need. Absolutely. And it, and it uh, trickles all the way up to the professional ranks where if you have guys that all they ever did was practice, well, they wouldn't be very good at, at passing guys. They, they wouldn't have a whole lot of uh, starting technique and, uh, and all, all those things that are only are only really uh, put in put into practice on race day. And uh, I think it's um, that competitive nature that keeps us coming back for more. And uh, although I may not have too many times come across the checkered flag in the first place position uh i know that's also another thing that keeps people coming back for more each weekend is the uh that satisfaction of a of a, of a good race well done uh and i don't think a, a, de- a decent practice session can replicate that no you know it, it's funny because um it's been a long time since i've uh raced a motorcycle i even get scared to to ride one because i'm getting old and don't want to get hurt but uh was very competitive in bowling uh when i was younger i i bowled professional for for years and uh not gonna say i was very successful at it but i learned a lot and um and i held my own but uh i just started back bowling and and, i can i can go out and practice one night and think i'm on top of the world and the very next night go go bowl in some competition and man it's like what happened We're, we're why am I doing this? And that's, that's just the, the example of, of, of being comfortable, relaxed and in, in a race or a competitive situation. And, and the people that figure that out are usually your champions. That they are absolutely. Now let's get a little bit back into uh, the professional wrenching, uh, the the tail end of the professional wrenching career of of one Marshall Plum. Now after working with uh, Larry Ward in '97 on uh, on on the uh, Honda of Troy, um, where did you go from there? And uh, and and how did uh, how did you end up deciding to basically uh, quote unquote retire from professional uh, for professional wrenching in '99? Because uh, giving giving that up is not something easy. I know uh, uh, Tony Berluti, a guy that you started with almost the exact same year as far as uh, like rate, like the American uh, stuff uh, is considered. Um, he wrenched all the way up till 2014, nearly doubled your career yeah um i always like i said earlier i kind of had um had that saying that when i couldn't give it a hundred percent no more and and could only give it 70 percent um and and maybe my 70 percent might be better than someone else's hundred percent but it it just when i that day come I, i i just said i had to do it and and um, after working with Larry that year, uh, the next year I went to work with Mike Craig. Um, and um, he got hurt partway through the season. And uh, I just, my heart wasn't in it. And and um, at that time, you to, to continue your career in uh, the motorcycle industry, you'd have to move to California. And, and I had some opportunities to to do that it just uh california 
is not in my DNA. I just don't mix with it coming from a, a small town in Canada. I love the place, but I couldn't live there. And, and so I had to come up with a game plan, really what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, for the last, uh, at that time, everything I knew was motorcycles. And, um, I thought maybe I'll start my own business. And, uh, you know, my last couple of years, uh, being in Oklahoma, I helped a lot of people out and, and figured I would see where I could go. And I wasn't sure if it was going to last a year, two or three. And, uh, very fortunate now we're going into our 17th year here at Marshall's racing. And, um, it's like any, uh, any business that's been in, in business that long, you have your ups and your downs, but, uh, we're still here, still going strong. And, um, uh, you don't want to make it stronger. It's just harder and harder in this competitive world to, to grow and grow, but we're, we're always working on different things to, to try and improve and make things go forward. And, uh, feel very fortunate in, in, in um, what, what's, what we've got planned in the future. So uh, without giving out, uh, give away too many details, uh, what does the future hold for, uh, for Marshall Plum and uh, Marshall Racing? And uh, when can I, uh, can I pull the suspension off my 2016 uh, KTM 252 stroke and uh, ship it on down to you for the Royal Factory treatment that uh, you have? And uh, do you have any solution for the 4CS4? Because I freaking hate that thing. Well, you know... Um... I get asked this question, why do I go to the races uh, on a weekly basis? And, you know, if I was to stay at home on the weekends and focus on Marshall's racing, man, it might be bigger and better than what it ever is. But some of the benefits that I have, and it, it, it goes back to earlier in our conversation of building respect and working with people, uh, very fortunate um, to know a lot of people from American Shoah, from WPS, uh, from Kaaba. Um, I've worked a lot. Even uh, even Ziggy from Factory Connection. He's a competitor, but more so than anything, he's a friend. And um, you know, when I have problems, uh, it never hurts to call those guys. And and that's one thing at the races. I stay in tune with the latest technology uh um i always have someone i don't even have to ask no more if they come up with a, a fix for something they're always offering you know to show me what they did and, and we all learn from everybody so uh, again very fortunate to to come across a lot of great people so yes on your your wps stuff uh you know there there's a fix for it unfortunately uh, uh the people that Nobody knows knows better to fix something than the people that uh, that built it, and 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 getting to know some of those guys is a really good help. I mean, I know at American Shoah, when I did the, the stuff with the Crossland Race Team, um, I got to work with a, a Japanese guy over there by the name of Ryo. Uh, at that time, he did all the Honda stuff. Uh, now he's doing um. Uh, Suzuki stuff with RCH and Suzuki, and he's a very knowledgeable, uh, very knowledgeable person. And um, having having those guys and knowing that you can pick up the phone and make a phone call for advice, 
always uh, reassuring. So I owe a lot to those to those people, and and it's still why I go to the races because I I stay in tune with with what's going on in in the new technology, and that 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 is uh, endless amount of testing time that I'd have to do at home to to do that, and, and nowadays it's hard to find that time. So uh, I mean, I feel very fortunate to to be where I'm at, to know these people and, and, and have them there if I need their advice and help. Right on, man. Well, it, uh, it sounds like two things need to happen. One, I do, in fact, need to unbolt the suspension from that KTM 252 stroke. Thankfully, uh, the bike can be down for a, a number of weeks because uh, it was, uh, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, 37 degrees and only going to get colder from here uh, over the next uh, six or seven months. And then uh, and I've got to send that down to uh, Marshall Racing. And uh, it honestly sounds to me like we need to do another one of these to uh to unlock some stories and and uh and dive a little bit deeper a little bit more comprehensive into the world of marshall plum i hope that uh you're, you'd be uh, more than welcoming to both of those oh yeah i mean the, the suspension part you doing that by by all means we'll, we'll we'll put you uh put you on a program that'll be good for you and, and, and always you know it's one thing that i wanted to do when i started marshall's racing and I had goals of going up and branching out into Canada way before RG3 Factory Connection and some of these other people did it. But I just, um, man, I got pride in my name, and I know I couldn't do 100% in both places, so I just focused on down here. And, um, you know, I feel uh, I got more work down here than I need at times, and then there's sometimes that that I need more. So, uh who knows, maybe in the next year or two, I might even try to branch up into Canada still. It just, uh, it, it, it's really hard to say, but, um, for sure would, would like to do the suspension for you. And, and, uh, I'm always, I, I've been known by people to say I talk a lot. So I guess as far as doing podcasts, I'm always open for that to do another one. And, uh, I know I, I've done one with Steve Mathis a, a few years back in, it was maybe one of the longer ones, but, uh, uh, Steve, uh, kind of like you was a, a rollerball fan and, um, <laughs> yeah, man, that's, that's one guy. That's one guy out there that I, that I love to death as a rollerball. And, uh, um, hopefully he'll, uh, he'll hear this and we can do one with him. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, talked to him a couple of days ago on Facebook and, um, for everybody that that knows who Ross is, he's doing very well, nice. and uh, um, oh, I, 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 that's one thing I regret that that he never did was stay in the sport because I think he would have been a great asset to some of these riders out there today. But um, especially the Canadians. Been, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, it's funny. I talked to Ross a little bit and he tried to help some riders out, but, uh, back when he, you know, the Blackfoot Honda days or whatever. And, and it didn't last long because he, uh, he's kind of like me. Uh, I mean, there's, there's only one way to do it and it's the right way. And, and, uh, sometimes it's hard to find the people that want to do it that way. And, um, but when that person comes along that wants to learn, I'm pretty sure that, uh, Ross would be a guy that could still help him because he's a champion and 
And like I said before, you they they don't give those championships away. You got to work hard to earn them. Totally, I'm I'm surprised you to, to, to hear you say that uh, a kid like Jimmy Nelson wasn't uh, uh, wasn't all ears when uh, Ross was talking. Yeah, you know what? It, it's one thing. You know, you, you being from Canada and me being born in Canada, there's there's been a lot of great riders uh, after Ross. There's some before him. Um, uh, there's there's a couple here that 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 are out there right now uh, that, that look like they they could um they could be something. But one thing that Ross did was he was never intimidated to to come to the U.S. and yeah and, and show his skills or try to learn. And, and you know, I mean, I'd like to see more riders come over here. And uh, uh, I mean, I know they can do it. Uh, it's not easy, but man, it's not easy for for you or I or anybody to go to work every day to to earn a living. It's a job, and that's what racing motorcycles is. And um, I mean, the people that work harder at it are usually the more more successful ones. Oh, totally. Oh, totally. I like like I said, you, like you said, we could go on forever, man. But honestly, if I had the skills of a guy like Tyler Medaglia or um, Jess Pettit, Jesse Pettis, or any of those guys who um, like they they specifically just race they they race some some arena cross races and the Canadian series, like I would. I would love to trade places with the, the, those guys just for, for, for one winter to go race some, uh, some supercross races rather than picking up a trowel every morning and laying bricks in the dirt and the working on your knees and you bust your hands up, you bust your knees up and you're wearing work boots every day. It's no fun. And, uh, if, if, um, like if they, if, if, they, if these guys think that, uh, racing supercross is, is a tough deal, uh, Trade trade you any day, my friend. No, you know it's funny that you say that. I, uh, you know, Ricky Carmichael is a very good friend of mine. I got to know him at a younger age uh, when he was on sixty fives, and spent a lot of time uh, down in Florida with him. You know, in in the two thousands, the the late nineties, and everything, and. Um, just about four, uh, maybe eight, eight or ten years ago, I was down there and and we we're sitting and and I said to Ricky, we're just at his house and I said, Ricky, I said, you guys feel very fortunate that that things went your way in racing and and we're what you have today and in everything and and he goes, yeah, but I worked really hard at it and I says, yeah, I know you did and and you deserve everything you got. I said, but on the flip side, I said, you know myself you know guys like you're just saying going out there working with the trowel and the the 30 degree weather we all work hard but sometimes people get a, a few little breaks that go the right way for totally. them and and the right things happen for them so uh, i mean one thing i always tell everybody appreciate what you've done today because it might not be there tomorrow or you might not be there tomorrow so uh just you know every time i get a win i'd look up into the sky and say thank you to the guy above because i didn't know when the last one was going to come and uh you know you never know i mean you know even guys like like uh mcgrath i mean you know all the stars that we had they don't know when they look at a guy like james stewart that 
man, unbelievable talent. And man, uh, he might not ever win another race in his whole career, but it, it's kind of sad because the guy's still a, a very great person, uh, yeah. a good champion. You just so appreciate everything you, you have happened to you in life because, uh, there's always somebody that, that doesn't get what you get. So, Oh, for sure. It's a, it's a shame that guys, uh, like maybe, um, like Ricky Carmichael knows exactly when his last win was going to be, uh, Millville, uh, 2007, but a guy like McGrath who won his last, he won his last main event, uh, in 2001 at, I believe it was either San Diego or Anaheim, the first Anaheim of the year. And he, he never won another one. It like, up until then, winning came fairly easy. I know he had he was still kind of uh, like cleaning those championships at the very end, but he still seemed like he could he could win on a on a, a biweekly basis. It seemed like, and after that, there wasn't any more. And uh, it, it's incredible to think that uh, prior to that, um, like uh, I wouldn't say that the the king ever took things for granted, but you just you just you win that much it's hard to think that like these things aren't automatic and uh and and, and it's it's not always that way no you know it's funny jeremy uh, uh very very respected person in my books and and it goes both ways i talk to him uh anytime he's at a race but i i talk to him a little bit about that and, and those guys man when they when they started getting beat, they thought they could pull a rabbit out of the hat and still win some. And, uh, man, sometimes the, the hat gets deeper and your arms get shorter and you can't grab that rabbit. And, um, you get close a couple of times, you touch it, but it, uh, you don't, you, you don't get to pull it out of the hat. So, uh, but it's not that way in racing. I think it's that way in, uh, in any professional sport. There's a lot of great athletes that, that, that that have retired that that didn't get to do it on top and um man we got another guy that's gonna be retiring soon by the name of Chad Reed and um, yeah man what a guy that guy is I mean to see him go out and win um uh, you know when he did win last year and the year before that I mean that's uh unbelievable and I'd like to to see him go out uh, next year and win one more Supercross and 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 just say, guys, I'm done. Uh, this is it. I'm retiring a winner, and that's that's what I want to be remembered as, you know. So totally, totally, man. Well, Marshall, it's uh, it has been a it has been a slice. It's been uh, a better part of an hour and a half, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. I feel truly blessed to have had you on the show, and uh, excited to hear that you, you've already accepted my invite to come on again sometime. Um, Final final words uh, before we uh, we wrap this up with a pretty bow. Well, I'd just like to say thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to to, to jibber jabber for the last ninety minutes and, and share some, share some of what we have. But uh, um, I would just like uh, you know to thank everybody that's that's um, made Marshall's racing what it is today and. And 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 all the riders that I've been able to work with, and and the riders down the road, and uh, I hope a guy like Justin Bogle can go out next year on a on a motorcycle that could, should, and might be a yellow one, and uh, win a couple races and everything, and and 
and uh, let's just make the sport of motocross get big, big, and um, support all our riders that we can. Awesome, man. Well, don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by 100% Goggles. Be sure to head to Ride 100%, that's R-I-D-E, 100-P-E-R-C-E-N-T.com to check out all available product, goggles, and a full rundown of the company itself. Also make sure that you check out racersindex.com to register and find yourself an industry job. If you're a mechanic looking for a job or if you're a rider looking for a job, go to racersindex.com. As always, thank you guys so much for listening and contact me at bradgebhart88 at gmail.com for any suggestions or review or feedback. Always appreciated. Thanks again for listening. nearly done A darker gray is breaking through a lighter one A thousand sharpened elbows in the underground That hollow hurried sound Feet on polished floor And in the dollar is closing up and counting loonies trying not to say I hate Winnipeg The driver checks the mirror seven minutes late The crowded rider's restlessness enunciates Guess who sucked? The Jets were lousy anyway The same route every day And in the turning lane Someone stalled a game He's talking to himself And here's the price of gas Repeat his phrase King Wrecking Ball proclaim I hate Winnipeg